Welcome back, Bannock folks. You're watching another episode of Bannockdotes, the podcast that holds it down for the underground sound here in Ontario, Canada. And I'm your host, Phil Paxton. Thank you so much for watching. If you haven't already, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It helps me out a bunch. I'm almost at 100 subscribers. I can almost taste it. And if you aren't already, follow the Instagram page. That's at Bannockdotes. That's where we do all our updates, post all our clips, uh, Tell me what you like about the show. You can leave a comment down below on our YouTube channel. Tell us if you like it, if you hate it, if you've got any questions you want me to ask any of the guests, if you have any ideas for guests you want me to have in the future, leave it all down below. And of course, give it a like. That helps me a bunch. Now, I asked you folks what shows were happening in Ontario in the next month or so, and you guys came at me with a ton of shows. So I'm going to go and list off all these rad shows. Um... Yeah, hold on to your butts. Here we go. Friday, March 18th in Sudbury, we got Maxim Shock with Light Mirrors and this Therapist and Four Mother, and that's at Ziggs. In Hamilton, we got Back to the 80s with Moonlight Desires, and they're a band featuring members of Sons of Butchers, and that's happening at the Absinthe. In Waterloo at Maxwell's, they're having a metal night featuring Stolos, Tough Guy, North Shroud, and Tailbotville Gore. Saturday, March 19th, in Hamilton, they're doing No Passage Fest. It's going to be a good time. That's at the Bridge Works, featuring Like Pacific, A Will Away, Exalt, Force Green, Falsifier, Nightwell, Judgment, Downswing, Fight Club, Hazel, Napoleon, and Gavel. That's going to be a good time. Make sure you grab your tickets for that. Friday, March 25th, and in St. Catharines, Banecdotes and Indoor Shoes presents Crywink. They're a band coming from the UK. They're playing with The Commuted, Drifter, Redcoat, and my homie John Lepp. In Toronto that night, at Sneaky D's, we have Send the Ravens with Matria, Cnoto, and Seagrave. And then in Etobicoke, at the Rock Pile, we got Jaegernaut, Sequential Fear, Tremors, Old Time Moonshine, and of course, Dawn Valley. That's going to be a good time. Saturday, March 26th, at the Doors in Hamilton, we got Snakes, Twin Banshee, Tort, and Flesh Guzzler. Cold Shoulder are doing a run of shows. March 31st, they're going to be in London at Rum Runners. April 1st, they're going to be in Toronto at Hard Luck. April 2nd, in Ottawa at the Dominion Tavern. April 3rd in Hamilton at the Absinthe. And they're doing those shows with Flashback. That's going to be a great time. Trench Lung and Gouge Out are also doing a bunch of shows. Uh, just a weekend of stuff. April 1st as well. They're going to be in Ajax at Rotitulus or Roddy. You know how it is. April 2nd, they're going to be in Guelph at Jimmy Jazz. April 3rd, they're going to end it in Windsor at the backstage. I haven't been to the backstage in Windsor. I wonder what that's like. April 1st in Hamilton at the Casbah, we got B.A. Johnson with Sons of Butchers and Thundercock. April 2nd in Hamilton at the Absinthe, we got Penske File and Sweet and Lowdown and OK Swimmer. Teeth are doing a run of shows. April 6th, Hamilton at the Doors. April 7th in Toronto at Sneaky D's. April 8th in Ottawa at the Dominion Tavern. April 9th, Montreal at Le Foufou Electrique. April 11th, they're ending it in London at Run Runners. Saturday, April 9th in Ottawa at the Mavericks, we got Scorching Tomb, Cruel Fate, 
Gland and Leprosy. Friday, April 15th. In Toronto, we got Hard Luck. Or at the Hard Luck, sorry. We got Loose Teeth with their Wormwood release with Rust, Still Numb, and Strange Limbs. Saturday, April 16th, in Hamilton at the Doors, we get the Gavel EP release, presented by Off Leash in Heaven, that's featuring Gavel, of course, Mile End, Die Alone, and Still Numb. Oh my god, so many shows happening in Ontario. So, if you're in those areas, make sure you go out, because, like, you know, the stuff is kind of rolling out, and we're excited to be back. Speaking of shows, I think this is a great way to introduce my guest this week. We're speaking with Eric Dixon, and he he runs Warehouse um, in here in St. Catharines. He does uh, you know indoor shoes and uh, Trust Beer Bar. He is an entrepreneur. He's been working hard with bands. Um, him and I are friends, obviously through you know uh, bands, and uh, we had a great time talking. And uh, you know what? Let's just get into it. Cool. Right on. Well, thank you for tuning in to Banecdotes. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my t-shirt of this week is uh, Trauma Model. They're our homies from Kingston. If you don't haven't heard of them, go check them out. And my guest this week is Eric Dixon of what? Here we go. Indoor Shoes, Warehouse, Trust Bar. What other? What, do you, what else you got? Oh, that's a good list. You're not into crypto? No, I have zero crypto. Good. Actually, I have maybe a little bit of... You, you don't know? I have like talk more to the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I have like uh, $70 worth of Bitcoin I bought like 8 years ago that it, how much Bitcoin is that? No, that's it was that was the dollar amount. That's oh. the current dollar value. Okay. It was like I don't know how much <laughs> it was then. I think I switched a $20 bill in on some sketchy random machine in Toronto like right. I've 7 seen years before. ago and like I was like, sure, I'll lose twenty bucks, and then it turned. And then I remembered that I had it like a few months ago, and I freaked out. I was like, can I get into this account and f- maybe I have a f- bunch of money? And then it was like seventy dollars Canadian. So I think I probably spent it. I probably spent the Bitcoin on on like coffee or something back there you then. Go. You could do that. So anyway, no crypto, no just crypto. those other things. Other less, other way less interesting <laughs> things, I guess, than crypto. Yeah. Now, now, how's been Wero's with all the shit going on? How, uh, with the on and off again concerts, how, how is that? I mean, more or less, there's been little to no activity since March uh, 2020. So we did our last show on the 14th or 13th of March. And then, you know, we follow, followed sort of like the trends of sort of what was allowed and what wasn't and generally like nothing in that context has been allowed away from like a few months throughout the last like year and a half so you know we did we did a set of like seated shows like very low-key in november december of 2020 when Mm -hmm. you could do like seated only uh and we kind of played with like a model where people would sit at tables and you sort of paid for a table rather than a ticket Mm -hmm. um and that was only like six or seven shows and then nothing again until basically October of last year. We kind of got back to like a hundred percent capacity for like about three months Mm -hmm. uh, and did as much as we could do during that time. But otherwise we've used the tried, mostly it's been dark in there. It was just like use the space for rehearsals or 
music video shoots and stuff that bands could do that wasn't actually a show but still utilize the space in some way so it's not none of that stuff was really big financially it was just something to keep the room sort of useful Mm -hmm. and then you've been doing trust as well yeah which um you know a lot of people assume that it was like a response to not being able to do warehouse but that place was sort of in the works uh for about a year before it opened i guess or maybe longer um I guess in a sense, like the timing was good because I got a chance to really focus on something else during what otherwise would have been like a time I would have lost my mind, like not have anything to do. So yeah. So that place is like more of a full-time bar restaurant that's open, you know, has been open and has gone through sort of the same waves of like restrictions and closed and open, but, um, has fared reasonably well, you know, considering restaurants have a lot of restaurants have had a really super hard time you know, keeping above water the whole time. So, yeah, I mean, so you've come a long way from, from being like the venue owner. I mean, even another business owner, uh, from being a promoter all the way back. You've been doing it for years now. Yeah. Sort of, uh, it seems crazy to think that it was, I was saying to someone yesterday that, um, like a little over 10 years, almost 11 years, which is crazy because this definitely was not, wasn't the plan there not that there was much of one but there wasn't it wasn't like i had a specific plan to go from putting on shows or being involved with shows to like running a venue yeah so it's been uh been a crazy ride and so how did you get started how did it because you're not from st Catharines, are you no i grew up uh in tilsonburg which is like a little bit south of london um and came to st Catharines to go to brock Ironically, I think one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I chose Brock and St. Catharines as a place to go to school was because of the music scene in St. Catharines when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, Scene Fest sort of peaked, uh, had its sort of like peak years, like in terms of, you know, interest level, like for me, when I was in like grade 11, 12, and then sort of moved here for a lot of what was going on. And ironically, you know, some of the major drivers of that uh, scene back then like left sort of the, around the same time being like Dine Alone or at least Bedlam Society you know uh, Joel Carrier uh, sort of took the, took on took that leap to Toronto and, and sort of at the same time that I moved here now I mean like back in 2006 like I was basically just a student at Brock mm-hmm. and wasn't involved in anything it was just like I went to shows occasionally at like L3 uh, or there's a couple other places back then but I certainly wasn't like involved or had any real interest in getting involved. It wasn't mm-hmm. even like on my mind. Like I was just in school. Um, when I, I had a couple of, of classes with people who were like in it, in the scene, I guess one of them was Timmer. Uh, Is that how you met him? I met, I mean, not, I wouldn't say officially met cause we didn't exchange any words at all, but <laughs> the first interaction I had with Timmer was a first year film class uh, where he was at the wrong seminar room like he was at the wrong seminar so he was like in this room with like 13 people or whatever and the the person running the class like took attendance and he was like um i'm actually in the wrong class and just got up and left like five (laughs) minutes in and we laughed because that was a weird that was a funny thing to have happened yeah um and we ended up having other classes together at that in that first year my like focus in university shifted after that but we kind of knew each other uh through you know that first year and then like seeing each other at stuff but we kind of got involved uh i got involved in like what he was already doing in about the halfway point of like 2011 
where it was already shows at the mansion house and the sort of 73 era had just sort of wrapped up mm-hmm. and uh was indoor shoes already created or <clears throat> yeah i mean him and shane had created indoor shoes just at the end of 2010 okay and they were doing shows uh more or less exclusively at mansion house which was like at the time was his he had gotten a job as like an entertainment person like an entertainment booker i guess for the bar yeah that handled like the cover bands but also like other stuff if he could do it and so he kind of just took what he was doing at 73 i guess and like whatever could fit at another place that was more of a bar he would do so i got involved he like asked me to design some like flyers for shows and uh we we kind of interacted that way for like four or five months and then i i guess i just started coming to the shows and like helping out here and there because i found it interesting and then um that just really organically just built into like him and I kind of like collaborating more on what that looked like and eventually kind of like turning it into a more of a business than it was obviously at the time like back then it was like his job but it was the whole indoor shoes thing was definitely more of a hobby that he um sort of took on and then there was like an option I think there was an opportunity to sort of turn it more into a business which is where um I mean it where it went the the few years after so at the beginning it was like very local occasional touring band shows at a bar that didn't necessarily want them there mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and then on the side like a independent like record label project that you know attempted to release like mostly again local bands music and try to drive like more of an audience for those bands so that was the sort of two-pronged thing it was more or less like do shows whatever money you make on those shows, like dump that into like putting out music for bands. Um, and that sort of formula continued f- until basically Tim removed to Toronto for his first like sort of real music industry job. Mm-hmm. That's wild. You've been yeah. doing it for a long time. And then yeah. like, and then, so is indoor shoes like a thing still? Or is it just a brand? Yeah, I guess it's more like an it's more like a brand or like a marketing tool like on the internet. I mean, like it still exists as a it has a it has pages on the internet, but it's I mean, what indoor shoes was always just sort of like a figurative business, right? right. Or like a figment. It wasn't like a real concrete thing. It didn't have a like a location, it didn't have an office. It was just like a a, a name brand, I guess. Yeah. And uh and it sort of it definitely still existed after Warehouse opened, which happened in 2017, but it again kind of took the role of like the the original music like show marketing tool right so it had a following on the internet and those people that followed it um whatever ones were still looking at it were like expecting to see that this is where the shows would be promoted that were touring bands and and local bands and so I sort of treated it as like, well, we have warehouses, the venue, but it's got to talk about all the stuff going on. It's got to talk about the flea markets, the tribute shows, the, like the dance parties, the DJ nights, like all the shows other people do Mm -hmm. right. In addition to the shows that we book. So that was sort of how they, how they separated. But yeah, um, five years, almost five years, like coming up on five years since warehouse opened, uh, obviously only real three of those being active, but, um, yeah. And then the other, you know, six years of indoor shoes so it's been a weird weird path especially considering it wasn't something i was planning on really i wasn't something i was anticipating doing on a full-time level it was it came out of like tim removed to toronto um which like really was like the point of what we were doing at the time like we were 
doing shows it was not really either of our jobs it was like something that was like fun it was fun to do and timmer's goal was always to sort of work in the music industry on a more like real full-time way yeah and so we were kind of just doing it and I, I think for a while it felt like we were just doing that to get him to that point and then i had no real plan i was like considered i had jobs in like marketing and uh stuff that i was doing so it more or less felt like we were trying to get him to a point where he had a full-time music industry job. And then when that happened um, and he moved to Toronto, um, I sort of ended up in this position where it was like, do I keep doing this without him or do I stop? And, you know, I had a, like, that was around the time, like we were at Detour, Detour. for the, for shows, which was also a, a terrible room for <laughs> concerts for the most part. I mean, some cool shows happened there, but it was not an ideal space. Um, especially considering, you know, the real concert venue that exists now, like that's actually built for it. But I was at this point where that place was like coming apart, you know, both literally and sort of figuratively, like the ownership was not interested. He was trying to sell the place. Uh, there was, the gear was crumbling. Like it was a, you know, it was a mess. And I had to sort of make a decision, which was either to continue you know, doing shows and figure out a new venue opportunity or option or just walk away from it. And it was obviously like, it was a weird time in my life. Cause it was a, around the same time I also considered like maybe moving on from St. Catharines and like going doing something else. By then I had been here for like almost 10 years. Um, and anyway, I mean the biggest factor was like walking away from the music scene really. Mm -hmm. I mean, the weirdest thing at that time was that anyone else who had sort of been doing, um, you know, organizing shows or promoting shows in any sort of real way had already moved on as well. Yep. So it was sort of us doing it and, you know, everything else was very DIY, like basement shows, whatever, uh, bar bands, not the same thing. Um, there was very little like independent music promotion happening. So mm -hmm. If we, if I was to, if I was to stop doing that, it would have like left what I thought was like, it was just going to leave all these bands and all these people in sort of like a state where they had no either outlet to play a show or go see a show unless it was one at the Premier Arts Center or the arena or mm -hmm. like to go to Hamilton or go to Buffalo or go to Toronto to see a show. And, uh, so it, it sort of created the, the, the path towards like actually opening a real venue in the city. Which yep. is, uh, you know, it was crazy as a, as a concept back then, it seemed like it, I guess I don't think I really considered how like crazy that would be to do. Like it's not the most lucrative business in the world. Like there's lots of other things someone could do that make more money than a concert <laughs> venue. So, um, and how challenging it would be, but that was also pre like, you know, pre COVID and pre me ever running a business like that before. So I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Right. Yeah, you've come a long way. That that that's crazy. Yeah. Are there any are plans for the for the new for the year now that things are like opening up? Like, is there any cicada? Is there anything going on with that? Or yeah, so that's coming back in October um, for the third time. And that's like your festival. Um, it's like I'm part of a group. Like it's a group of five people that um, I'm sort of like the the music industry person within it. I suppose okay. like. The other, the rest of the group, um, prior to that had little to no like sort of event experience there. The connection was the family, the sons of the, of the, the guy who had originally started this like cicada fest idea, like 
over a decade ago in like his as like a backyard barbecue party thing for the community uh he it was there his sons who sort of decided to carry that idea on after he passed away and that i got involved because they wanted to do like a music event and so there's five of us i mean it's more or less like a that's the organized group i guess um it's not my thing singularly by any means okay yeah i just sort of you know i i book it and do most of the organizing in a way because i have that experience but it's definitely a shared thing and that that's getting bigger and bigger every year right yeah so this year um like we would have been at five we would have been at five years this year but that's again two years off so this is the third one i mean it, in the first two it grew like it grew like decent um in terms of population or attendance um so hopefully like again i mean it'd be crazy um, the capacity of that space in, in Porto Luzi is like, it's hard to, de- hard to determine. I think it's like, we could probably do like four or 5,000 people in that, in that space. Yeah. So in the first year it was like a little over, it was like 1500. And then last time it was about just over 22 or 2300 people. So it could grow. Hopefully it grows past the 3000 person mark this year, but yeah, it's growing. I mean, it's not the nice thing about having a capacity at that space is that it's, limited in terms of like it can never get too big yeah you know like scene fest got to a point where it was like six i think and it's like when it was still just a multi-venue like downtown festival without the park it was like i think that six thousand in the six thousand range was like where they where they were at their wow. biggest like in terms of attendance which is yeah. like a crazy amount of people when you think about where those what how many venues like how many people those venues could hold mm-hmm. and like the outdoor spaces weren't weren't massive like no. you know so um but it also could keep going right it evolved to the point where it was like montebello park where it's like ten thousand people yeah could fit there so it had this like could have kept going and gotten bigger and bigger do you see cicada growing to get to that big point or would you want it to get to that point or i think the attitude of the group that's organizing this thing is like that there's a ceiling to what it should be okay um i have this thought about music festivals that like when they get really really big they're like really difficult to book not just because you're dealing with like the biggest and most expensive artists to bring in but that they're you know when you bit what do you put on the largest festival you know if you think about way home for example yeah. like way home happened three times and the first couple of years like the lineups were crazy like it was like the biggest bands you know some of the biggest bands or artists in the world and then in the third year like they were also still some of the biggest bands in the world, world, but they had a hard time like convincing everyone that it was as good as the first couple of years. Sure. And like when you get into that point, there's like a threshold where you hit that level where it's like the biggest artist that you can get. And then what do you do next year? Like, yeah. how do you? So, I mean, to put it simply, like the goal is to try to keep it where like every year it feels like it's getting better, mm-hmm. even if it's not necessarily growing at some like exponential rate. Cause I don't think you want to get to a point where someone goes like, well, last year was better. Right. You know, and that, that'll happen a lot faster if you're going straight to like the biggest artists in the country. That makes sense. So, and it's like a little bit more niche in terms of like genre. Like it's not as broad. It's more like indie folk. Um, what's like the heaviest band on there? The heaviest band. <laughs> um, Probably like, I mean, that's a funny question. Probably like, <laughs> I mean, like Winter Sleep. Yeah. You know, it's like not a heavy band. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, Basement Revolver is like a sort of a shoegazy kind of band from Hamilton. Yeah. I hate classifications like that, but I read it literally today. I read that in a in a headline about them, so I could say that. But 
like they're more of a rock band mm-hmm. you know like um the mandevilles played last time they're like a rock band um but it's certainly not you know in the realm of a of a scene fest where you're talking about like alternative you know alternative styles this is more like in the stream of like canadian indie folk roots like it's it still has like a an, it's still pretty broad like a lot of different bands can play it but it's it's sort of downstream that's like more general appeal like almost any of those bands you you could hear on like indie 88 or mm-hmm. the edge or something like that so um it could grow pretty big but it's not going to be like the hope is to try to keep it more local more community driven like there are some festivals in Ontario that have been going on for a decade and they've, they've never gotten super big. Right. And that's, I think part of the reason that those things are sustainable is because they, you know, that they are sort of smaller. Yeah. You know, super crawl is like a hundred thousand people. I think now on a, you know, it's free. It's like a big thing in Hamilton, but it can be like, I think it's that number of people. I mean, I've been a couple of times, so I don't know exactly, but um, that thing is also like the biggest bands. And I think that's the challenge with trying to do something that isn't our full-time job that's that can actually happen like into the future yeah that it doesn't get too big Mm -hmm. so yeah and then um like that that is sort of a big project on the side of everything else like on on top of the venue and um but yeah i think we i like got to a point where there was like an interest in doing other events that were sort of had music as a component but weren't necessarily like a music driven event i mean Mm -hmm. cicada is a music festival you know but but we're also putting on a beer festival in the summer that has a music component, but isn't just a music festival. Right. And those sort of things got kind of interesting to me as I got, you know, at, once the venue had, again, not at the moment, but once the venue was sort of rolling, it felt like, okay, like this is working. Maybe there's some other events that can be, you know, that people in Niagara want to go to that aren't just concerts inside of a venue. Right. Do you play any music yourself? Not since uh, basically high school. What did you play? I guess I played everything i mean i I think i i started playing drums yeah i was like in music class in high school as like in the you know like you got to i don't know how it is here like my high school was really small and everybody wanted to play drums or bass yeah uh and you had to like basically do a lottery to choose who got to play what (laughs) and it was like your first choice your second choice so like instead of playing saxophone i played drums because like that was my i got the i won the lottery in that you know grade 10 music class i played i played drums like in music class in high school and then that obviously like and i was you know the people i was friends with it lent to playing other instruments so but again nothing that nothing in a band that was ever outside of like some high school talent show everything was just and i i think i when i went away for school it was sort of like the end of like retired the idea of even just like music as a hobby yeah which again is even weirder that, that i ended up doing what i'm doing but i always say that, like i'd realized that i was better off in the background but still involved in like the making of sometimes i mean or the facilitating music even if it's not me doing it right on yeah right on all right well i think we could get into some band anecdotes now i know you're not in oh, a yes, band right. Uh, right. yourself but uh you work with plenty of bands and we don't we're not here to uh you know smear any bands through the mud so if, yeah. if you want to um if you have a story about a band and you don't want to tell, uh, you know, mention their name, you can call them the Wiggles or or, or Beyonce or okay. something. Some, Beyonce, yeah, yeah. Also not a band. <laughs> uh, has a band. Isn't a band. Um, I mean, yeah. There's. I mean, in ten years of doing shows, um, at various scales, there's obviously like all kinds of um, moments that are memorable and stories. Um, and I said, as I said to you before, it's like hard to think of 
like there's plenty of like really great stories and things that are you know make doing what i do now seem easier than it did you know 10 years ago or even less um bands that have been like super genuine and friendly and well and, you know accepting of the fact that like here's a group of people that don't haven't done this for very long and are used to dealing with maybe promoters and venues that do so i would should just say that there's like a fair there's a fair share of stories that are like that really reinforce why doing this thing isn't um or why you keep doing it even though it's not like a huge money yeah thing and obviously like the the opportunities to work with local local bands um over the years sort of as well it's not just about the bands that come in from out of town that you don't know personally that are like big and you're sort of like freaked out by the idea of dealing with them it's also like working with bands that in the area and seeing them accomplish cool stuff Mm -hmm. um and sort of i guess like on that you know there's there's a lot of local bands we've worked with uh both in terms of putting on shows but also like helping them sort of put out music Mm -hmm. um and even if it wasn't like something that a project that we were like specifically involved in you know like we we definitely had like an indoor shoes catalog of like releases on a sort of label level mm-hmm. but like away from that there was tons of bands that we dealt with where we were trying to help them do that even if it wasn't with us right it was like okay if you guys want to put out a cd like here's what has to happen you're gonna have to we're gonna help you through the process and there's like you know there's a number of bands that we've timmer and i uh, over the years, like guided through that process because we did it so many times. Yeah, and um, it was like clockwork. Yeah, it was like here's all the people you call and the people that you email to get this stuff done, and then you'll have this many CDs. In order to pay for that many CDs, you need this much money. And the, the way our way of helping you achieve that was like, let's do a show, and here's the here's how you get there. Right, you need to make a thousand dollars. Here's how many people have to be at that show, and mm-hmm. how much we can you know help you make. Um, I feel like we've done that. I feel like we've done that with Sinner. I'm sure we have. Yeah, it's like, you guys are doing a release show. How do we make that? How do we make enough money? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, one that comes to mind is like Bitter Kids, um, who you talked to Keegan, um, that their previous band, you know, they did their last, they did one of their last big shows um, at L3. Mm-hmm. And it was like this sort of, you know, those guys grew up here mm-hmm. and I mean, I had been here long enough to realize like sort of the history and the significance that some people, that a lot of people in the music scene place on L3. Yeah. It's like a venue you could play because it had had that history of like, you know, coming up through the 2000s of like, you know, this is where Alexa on Fire played. This is where, yeah. you, know, um, you know, there's a long list of like big Canadian uh, and American <laughs> artists that have played there. And the idea of headlining L3 came with a certain amount of like cachet to, yeah. to people in the region so you know absolutely when bitter kids uh as an example when they were like sort of wrapping up as a band they wanted to do like one last big show mm-hmm. and they um had that feeling about l3 because they had been to those shows right they had been to the we came as romans and the you bring, know, me the bring me the rising shows and they and like what that sort of meant to like to say we had lined at l3 yeah it was, like, was a big big deal so you know we booked that you know we booked the venue we helped them you know choose the bands that played we like gave them like here's how it's going to work like you can you know if the show hits this number of people this is how much money you're going to make and like they were trying to sort of like retire the band and right. like, resolve sort of like some of the debts associated with like buying a trailer and printing a ton of merch and yeah. cds and all this stuff and so they were trying to finish the project i guess you know walk away from it without any 
money like owed. And anyway, the point is that they, you know, they hustled. They, you know, obviously that idea of playing that place was important. Like that last show kind of being one of those examples of a headline at L3. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, being able to say like sold out L3 was like a even, that was like their ultimate goal. And I I remember thinking like that's going to be really difficult because it's like 380 it's a huge tickets. Cap. It's a lot for for a band like from the area that yeah. technically isn't even really. I mean, they were a band still at that point, but they were intending to not not be. So right, you know. Anyway, the point is that like they got to that point, they sold out the show, and I remember it happening. Um, you know, a certain amount of tickets sold in advance, and then the show was happening, and they, uh, I was keeping tabs on like where we were at. I remember there was probably like thirty or forty tickets left when the show started, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they were literally like, you know, the stairwell behind the stage at L3. You yep. come in from the back door and it's like a set of stairs, but that leads you up to the stage. Yep. And most bands that would play there, like headliner bands would like come up from the back. They're like walk on. It's like the walk on opportunity that, that you don't necessarily get everywhere. Um, and they the band was literally like in that little hallway mm-hmm. area with like guitars on, like like just about to go on. Like they were in that like 10 minute transition period where the stage was already set, but they hadn't gone on yet. And, uh, and the show had actually sold, sold out. Yeah. It got to that point. And so I was able to like kind of rush through. I remember finding out it was like Tasha, you know, probably or Michelle working at the front door saying like, Hey, we we're done. Like we have no more tickets. And me being like, I need to tell these guys before they go on stage. Um, and sort of like rushing through the like main floor and the downstairs of, of L3, which was rammed full of people because of course it was like, you know, that 10 minutes before the headliner goes on and everyone's like getting a drink or whatever mm-hmm. and getting to them and being like, guys, the show is sold out. Like you did it. And like, you know, it sounds funny that that's like such a big deal because, you know, lots of shows sell out. Right. But when you've grown up in this music scene as like, and they're like kids, like when they started that band, they were teenagers before that they were in other bands and like, you know, like bitter kids played, did things like they played like the warp tour or Toronto date. That's you right. Know, like they won a contest or they, they got voted in to like play the, and like they toured Ontario. They, they did a couple of other like runs. They'd recorded in the States with like somebody in a band, you know, like they did the real band thing. They mm-hmm. were trying to do it and they were trying to do it in the same way that like the bands that they liked, from here and from Ontario before had done it where it was like start small like build a fan base like you know all that stuff Mm -hmm. and so to go to them on their last show and say like hey you did it and then have them go on stage like knowing that was a sold out crowd like was very very cool yeah I mean and you know there's been so much history in this area with bands there's so many bands there's so many people it's like hard to pick yeah a story that's like (laughs) represents anything but you know one of the one of the things about doing this job i guess is that you know you deal with hundreds of people and um you do hundreds of shows and a lot of the time the pandemic and not doing them has been a great like reminder of this but you know every once in a while you're reminded like why you're doing it there's like a reality is that when you do when you do 150 shows a year it's really hard to get excited at every single one of them mm-hmm. you know you're sometimes you're just in the motion of like bands on stage you know, settling the show, starting the show, like all those steps. And uh, every once in a while, it's, it's nice to get like a reminder of like why it actually is super fun. And, you know, I always say it's like I like facilitate people having fun or good times, you know, like sometimes it's the crowd and sometimes it's the band. But like, you know, you get a situation like that where these guys who are sort of like 
moving on past this like musical project that they had spent like years on and a lot of money and a lot of time and you get to tell them like you hit the ultimate goal for you which is like a sellout at this you know historic re historically relevant sort of niagara venue and that was like watching the show after that came with a whole other different yeah you know a whole different feeling because you're like these guys know they know they know they did it so that's a that's a more like positive story i mean there's plenty of like goofy funny other ones if you want you want to hear a weird yeah throw me a goofy one um this is so this is one of those like the wiggles situations okay <laughs> um there was a show uh a good a good um turned out to be a really good show like the show itself did did well people had a good time there's a show back a few years ago at warehouse mm -hmm. um a band a rock band who sort of like had the very like rock bandy attitude okay you know? um the damn wiggles the man. party time the the party band you know like the party rock band that yeah. likes to have a good time <laughs> talks about doing you know talks about you know drinking on stage you know what i mean like sure the call outs to the crowd about like who's getting fucked up tonight one of those right and then they get fucked up i don't know <laughs> um but it's mostly just a show but anyway so like those types of bands are like kind of sometimes can be like a lot to deal with because you're like in a sense they're like encouraging the crowd to be less like obedient towards just like normal social cues <laughs> and the rules of like can you not wreck this place like please don't throw your bottles in the air like please don't you know like let's keep the like the mosh pit sort of like reasonable right you know sometimes people go a little bananas but um anyway the end of the show comes around and my job after sort of the dust settles of like people kind of buy their merch and they head out and the you know the lights kind of come on and people are you know you're more or less just like tidying and my job is like waiting for the sort of the band to get to pack up so that we can like settle the show and and they can move on to you know whether it's to the hotel or to the next city or whatever they're doing and um this was a like a unusually long sort of like pack up because the show was like it was a friday night like they were having a good time um band was drinking like they had a few people hanging around who were drinking and sort of you know you don't like there's no reason to like crush that people are having a good time like you can hang out and deal with that um but when it came time to actually like sort of settle the show mm -hmm. uh and pay the band and like you know um thank them for being there it was like the singer was gone like he was missing the singer of the band was missing so the rest of the band is like we don't know where he is like um but like someone else will settle and that was fine then it came to like actually loading out and this is like you know the show ends at like 11 30 the band is like there till 12 30 drinking and mm -hmm. hanging out and whatever and then it's time to start like packing up the van and they can't find the keys for the van so they can't get in the van to, right. to load out and it's like i think it was like winter it was not <laughs> summer it was like a, i remember them not like the idea of just putting the gear outside was not like an option right and um, they couldn't get a hold of the singer of the band. And it turned out that the singer of the band had made friends with a person at the show who he had decided to go off with her to who knows where. Sure. You know, I guess. And um, <laughs> couldn't be, couldn't, they couldn't get a hold of him. And so time is, like, the clock is ticking. I'm yeah. like, I sent staff home, right? <laughs> the venue has been cleaned. Like, it's just the band, their gear, an empty room, and me. Right? Yeah. Everything is packed. And it's all just in the building. And I'm like waiting for this. And then I'm like, what's going on? Like, I kind of just casually hung out. But 
um, as it turns out, the singer of the band finally shows up, maybe an hour and a half after the band's like more or less packed up. Okay. And he's, you know, I had nothing to say to him because the band was already furious enough with this guy. <laughs> on your behalf. Um, you know, and they're on because yeah. they want to move on to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it turns out that they're like, okay, we need the keys because we need to get in the van. He's like, I don't have the keys. Um, and I'm watching this sort of like from a distance where like, I know what's going on. Like, I know, like, they don't know I'm really paying attention, but, sure. and he's like, I don't have the keys. And they're like, well, where are the keys? And he's like, well, they were in my bag. And they're like, is it in the green room? No, it's on the green room. It turns out that the guys like put the keys for the van in his van, in his backpack and then locked his backpack in the van. <laughs> so now it's two in the morning. Uh, everyone's like no longer buzzed at all they are not having a good time they need to move on they need to drive to they had to drive somewhere like They're on a tour they were like driving to somewhere be like kingston or something like yeah. it was not going to be like a a fun overnight drive <laughs> but they had to do it and uh and so they had to like and at, this was a point where i was like listen guys like i gotta go like i can't hang out any longer uh i think i had something going on in the, like the next day sure. super early in the morning it was like i so i the story I, I remember hearing the rest of the story secondhand that they actually like had to call. They tried to call CAA, but it was going to be like two hours. So they ended up just smashing the window of their own van. Really? <laughs> to get into their van to then get the keys to start the van to be able to load the whole load the van with all their gear and merch, and then leave. And they didn't get out of like the parking lot at warehouse until like sometime around like three or four in the morning. Wow! After a show that ended at eleven, and like in part, <laughs> it was only made worse by the fact that the singer like went home with someone you yeah. know uh after the show and like didn't tell anyone where he was going so they had no opportunity to sort of like get ahead of this issue mm-hmm. so yeah the wiggles crazy group of go- crazy group of guys um, anyway so you know there's that's a pretty funny example people do hilarious stuff you know um alcohol infused party nights after a show can like go sideways pretty quick yeah um i mean like generally speaking most bands are and like funny thing is even those guys like i wanted to kill them like (laughs) in halfway through that situation but at the end of the day like you know the they were not they weren't doing anything malicious they like were having a good time and one of them fucked up yeah they ended up having to smash their own window which probably made (laughs) you know the the five or six hundred bucks or whatever that they were getting paid to play the show like the drive home would have been and a I winter drive with a smashed window in your wouldn't van, have yeah. wanted to been in that vehicle. No, yeah, you people, you got you guys have probably toured in enough shitty vehicles. Yeah, but at least you probably had the windows up in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a couple couple stories like that, but that's the that one stuck out for me because I just remember <laughs> like walking away and like I'd never had to do that. I don't think I've ever left the venue before the band. The like, band, you know what I mean. I mean, sure, I've been like I've not been at every single show, but I've probably never had like had to say, "Okay, guys, I'll see you later," and no one else is also there. Like, I locked the door, left them outside in the parking lot, and was like, "Good luck." <laughs> so that's wild. I guess that's an, an a anecdote that come coming from someone not in a band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another one. Um, I mean, probably, man. There's so many like funny stories that aren't necessarily like. You know, we've done so many funny shows. Yeah. Kenny versus Spenny. Yeah. I was at the one that was like one of the last gig. It wasn't the last gig at Warehouse, but it was Kenny one Kenny versus Spenny was the last. It was? There was a two night or a two show. Yeah. One night event. The day it was the 13th of March. It was the last like. Yeah. The last event, which is kind of 
this is even funnier. Yeah. Like, like the last event we would do before like six and a half months of not being open again was like, <laughs> was that? But you know, like we did one of those, we did that one then, we did another one before that in 2018. Mm-hmm. I think and it was I, at that one too. And that was the show. Were you at that one too? The like original, the first one we yes. did? Yes. Where like the end of the show, the show finished with like somebody being given a prostate exam. Yep on stage on stage and like the best part about that is that i knew it was happening like i knew it was going to happen because they they you told know, you they told me like here's the show like we make fun of each other for 90 minutes and then spenny gives someone a prostate exam yeah yeah and i was like okay <laughs> of course yeah. yeah i mean it's 19 plus so whatever everyone's consenting but they uh the best part is that the guy who volunteered and this is what comes with the like with like those sort of not music like stage like com- not comedy but it's you know what i mean like there's some sort these, of like, live entertainment that's not, not music a, it's not a it's not really a comedy show because it's not like a set and there's not really jokes it's not stand up and it's not stand up and it's not music it's like just sort of like there's a unique thing that happens in canada there's i think it's a uniquely canadian thing that like actors who've played characters on television shows go on after the show is over like making money playing that character in, that's right in other contexts yeah like trailer park boys, trailer park boys. Letter kenny uh i mean kenny and spenny are actually people and that is the they are those people but like there is obviously an amped up version of what they're like on tv yeah um but anyway so shows like that the there's always like some sort of bring the person on stage element and mm-hmm. like you know something funny happens um and you know in some cases it's like we did one with um, Taggart and Torrens, who do the... It's like uh, Jonathan Torrens, who's uh, uh, Jonovision. That's right. Charlie Park Boys. I was going to say, I know right. the name. I just think... And then uh, Jeremy Taggart is this, is the drummer of uh, Our Lady Peace, and they have a podcast. Really? They have a podcast together, uh, and they would do, like... They've done a few, like, live podcast tours, and, you know, they'll, like, bring people up and like or they'll like do q and a's and it's it's like sort of crowd involvement and right like stuff like that randy's cheeseburger picnic was another right. event we did with, with uh randy from the trailer for boys that's uh you know there's like they did a they pulled people up on stage to see who had the best it was like who had the best <laughs> beer belly or something yeah. like that who had that the, so they got a bunch of people on stage who are like and everyone's cheering for who has the best <laughs> anyway so they when we did the Kenny versus Spenny one the first time around and I knew this thing was coming. My favorite part about it is that like they asked someone, they say who wants who wants to have their prostate examined on stage? And like, you know, people are drinking and they're having a good time and they put their <laughs> hands up. They're like cuz they think it's like a joke. It's like a novelty. Like, right. Oh, I'll be the guy that goes on stage like it's not really going to happen. Yeah. And this guy goes up on stage, you know, like his friends are like cheering him on. He was so excited. He was very excited. And then excited. he found out that it was actually happening. Yeah. And he was suddenly... I think the first person actually went up and was like, oh, no, I'm not... I don't actually want to do this. And they're like, okay, get off. <laughs> yeah, that's... You know, yeah. Who actually wants to do this? But this guy did not think it was... Didn't think he was really going to happen. Like, he didn't think... And then the, the rubber gloves came out. Yeah. And it was like... The idea that it was like this educational exercise to say, like, this is not... There's... Like, his whole thing was like, there's nothing weird about this. Like, we're just... This is something you should do. This is something you know, that you should a, do often. A preventative measure and for a, for a good reason. Anyway, and like this guy goes up on stage and like it happened. And I can honestly say like I never would have thought in I could go we could do shows. I could do events for another 20 years. I don't think that is ever going to happen again. <laughs> um, 
So again, not really a band <laughs> thing, but that's a pretty that's wild. That's a pretty wild story. Yeah, that's that, that. Hey, were you at that show where someone got a live prostate exam? <laughs> on stage? Was a was a human puppet for someone? It was a weird one. So. Yeah. Um, um, when you're now, I normally ask bands who tour uh, do this, but I, I'm just curious. When you're on the road, what's your gas station snack? Uh, <laughs> um, taquitos. Taquitos. Yeah. Uh, Those are so sick. I could be on the road. I mean, you know what? The funny part is, like, when I think about being on the road, I'm obviously not in a band. So, no. like, when I think about driving somewhere far away, yeah, it's like you're really just going to like an on route, probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. or like a gas station. Yep. If you're if you're not in Ontario, you're at just like a gas station uh, service center somewhere, and like they don't have Seven Eleven, so like that's not even a good answer. Taquitos, like specifically, like if I know I want, if I'm going to Seven Eleven, that's a snack. Yeah. But, uh, Tim Hortons Honey Cruller. There you go. For sure. It's Tim Hortons everywhere. Just, they're everywhere, right? And no matter where no matter where you are in the country, even like a big chunk of the I mean, on the other side of the border, you can find a Tim Hortons. Yeah. And the Honey Cruller is like the perfect. To me, it's like the perfect donut. Mm-hmm. It's not heavy, super light. It feels like you didn't eat anything. Yeah. But you definitely get that sugar rush. Yeah. And, you know, just a simple, like, icing sugar. Nice. Nine, best 90 cents you could spend on there the There you road, go. I think. <laughs> yeah. Now, again, uh, I asked most bands this, but I, uh, I'm going to turn this question uh, a little around. Um, I normally ask bands what would be their rock star uh, rider. What's the dream rider? Right. Hmm. What's the weirdest rider you've had to deal with? We don't have to mention names, but no, what's the fine. weirdest rider you've had to deal with uh, working funny, with bands? A, it's a good question to ask people that are in bands. It's, an, it's a it's a good question to ask people who are <laughs> who run shows because they they see them, and I've seen hundreds of them. Like I've seen hundreds of riders, um, and I will say that like riders are most often like a wish list. They're not necessarily like people think of them as like. This is a de- list of demands, and if they aren't met, like the band's not playing. Right. It's very rarely that that's ever even close to the case. It's usually like, if possible, we would love these things. Yeah. But it's totally cool if, like, you know, you can't find that. Um, but the nice example, or the best example I could give you, is actually easy to tell who it is because they wouldn't mind because it's hilarious. It's not a crazy request in terms of like being demanding or over the top, but it is like, it's a good story. Back when the when universe when brock did like frost week and frost week sort of concerts like the first week of january back they did a concert with colorado in the in the september of whatever year it was and it was at at isaac's uh, on campus and the student union like at the university like did events every year but they you know it was always like student staff and like not a lot of them had like done it for very long Mm -hmm. like they were new new to the whole idea and so they booked colorado to play like a volunteer appreciation show at Isaac's for all the people who helped with the Frosh Week events. And Colorado's rider at the time had, um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is right. I don't, I hope it's not the wrong, uh, I don't want to get the specifics wrong, but if I remember correctly, it was one golden retriever. <laughs> um, just, <laughs> just like to be available, yeah. you know, at the band's <laughs> discretion. And so, you know, obviously this is a joke, right? right? It's ob- like uh, those guys are funny guys. They're writer. They're everything about their sort of how the band was presented, you know, to the people organizing shows was always a little funny. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're like stage plot, so to speak, when like, which is like what a venue and the sound person gets to sort of, oh, hey, the drummer needs a mic and this goes here and that goes there. 
that was literally like hand drawn on a piece of paper and then I scanned as a PDF and it was like the worst drawing I'd ever seen. <laughs> but I mean, in reality was that like, that's all you needed, right? Yeah. You just needed like drummer here, guitar, guitar, bass, <laughs> like here's where the mics go. It's not necessarily complicated, but theirs was intentionally poorly drawn. Like I think intentionally, it was like, looked like it was drawn on a napkin Yeah. and then they scanned it. Anyway, so that's the kind of guys that they were <laughs> as far as like, they wanted venues to be like, let's not take this whole thing too seriously. Right. And so on their rider were like a handful of normal things, you know, like bottles of water and like chips and hummus and, you know, sandwich things to make sandwiches, like whatever, like all the normal stuff a band would have. But at the bottom of the list was like a golden retriever. <laughs> and in their sort of like, I remember hearing this story from someone at the, on, who had been on staff at the time that like, they kind of were like, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Like, and one of the staff uh, student staff at the student union at the time had a had a golden retriever mm -hmm. so they brought their golden retriever <laughs> on the day of the show like before the show like yeah you know all this stuff is usually like upon load in these things available to the band at the, in the green room and so they brought their golden retriever to isaac's to like give to the like hey there's a here's the dog and the band lost their minds yeah like, this is the funniest thing that's ever happened no one has ever actually done this because of course it's a joke but like they were in love with it so much that they took the dog for a walk around the university campus, like just because they were like, well, you brought your dog, let's take the dog for a walk. And then they returned the dog to like the owner and they took their dog home. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, funniest rider item, golden retriever yeah. for sure. And the funniest story about it is someone actually did it. Um, I mean, I've seen all kinds of like hilarious um, specific stuff like, you know, like the joke, what's the joke or like the stereotype is like certain colored M&Ms or something like that. Yes. I have seen that on riders as a joke um, because there's such like folklore around it. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, I don't know if, what band it was, like Motley Crue or the Yeah, Beatles. Timber told me this. Is it, was that what it was? Yeah. That like there was some, that was, and a thing that's, I'd say like a thing that's worth mentioning about riders is that like a lot of the time that like super specific stuff is only there to make sure that whoever's running the show is like paying attention that's just right? it it's not because the band is actually like only gonna play if they get mm -hmm. red m&ms it's like so that they can go like well there's the red m&ms so we know that this guy or this girl was like paying, paying attention. attention so you know there are those examples and i think that just comes with like the 70s and the 80s and yeah. maybe the 90s with like guns and roses and like like the biggest bands at that time that there was like rider requests were absolutely crazy that, yeah. like they'd have drugs and drugs on them or like on the rider, like this much drugs, you know, like there'd be stuff like that. And then these promoters would be like, Ugh, how do we secure drugs for this band? Um, but, uh, have you had to get drugs? Has that been on a rider? I've never seen it on a rider. I have <laughs> definitely been asked for assistance. In right. Procuring certain items. I think I've helped on you the day that. of the show. <laughs> I mean, it's also like, uh, weirdly before you, before this was not as weird a thing or mm -hmm. before it was a normal, you know, I mean, I guess it was always like, to me, it seemed like it was never that, that illegal. Right. Uh, so being asked to help someone find pot was never that crazy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, prior to legalization, it was always such a like hush hush thing, especially because a lot of the time you're talking about bands that have like come in from out of the country yeah, uh, or out of province or whatever. And like traveling with it was like, wouldn't have been, wise so they kind of get to a place and then but yeah only i've never seen it on a list although i've heard i've heard rumors that it was on a rider on a in a quite substantial way for cypress hill oh yeah when they played at they... uh 
back at the whatever what it was called Barracuda? at the time Barracuda Pretty at the time yeah um, that there was a pretty sizable <laughs> uh, request on their rider wow um, which I don't know probably would have been relatively easy for them to I'm sure fulfill I'm sure so uh, yeah that's Rider, crazy riders are riders are like a fun quirk of the job of putting on shows and like 99% of the time they're very boring yeah right like <laughs> bands even now know how like know how much like goofiness is a, surrounds rider requests and mm-hmm. so they even kind of like go out of their way to stress like we don't really need that much yeah like we'll take like t- you know a couple beers and like some water for the stage and like some a chips tray. and like something yeah veggie tray i can't i probably have like supported the zares like fresh vegetable counter personally just in veggie trays and fruit trays over the years and i always think like what am what people think when i'm at the grocery store like buying this same allotment of things not that they've seen me multiple times but like what would you like who is this person buying like two 48 balls of water like uh all the hummus and pita chips a veggie tray a fruit tray like nine volt batteries uh and like you know various other like granola bars and snacks things that you can like it's like riders are like stuff riders are like never stuff you actually eat that day or they are but like a lot of the stuff on a rider is like for the road they just take right it's like saying like can we get like a box of like nature valley granola bars right like whatever Mm -hmm. and it's not because they're eating them at the show it's so that like while they're driving from here to london you know they've got something to snack on Mm -hmm. so I don't know. Maybe that takes a little bit of the fun out of the whole rider <laughs> thing. I think it's a way more fun question to be like, what would be on your rider? Yeah. So I'm sure we got to check out what some of those other folks said about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got one more question for you. Uh, it's a big one, but you should be able to answer it. What are your top five favorite bands of all time? If you can't give me five, give me three. I could give you 10, but I'll give you, I'll do my best to give you five in order. Or just in it general. doesn't need to be in any okay, order. Good. Okay, so it doesn't have to be in order. Uh, Thursday. I knew you were going to say that. Poison the Well. Constantine's. That's my top three. Um, for sure. And then it's like a huge, like massive toss up between a whole bunch of other, whole bunch of other bands. So. Um, I'm just. I feel like I want to just like that doesn't really. Definitely doesn't represent the whole, my whole music taste, but it's, it's like, that's like, if I think about bands I've listened to for like a super, super long time. And the ones you go back to constantly. I go back to constantly. I mean, like, you know, bands like Manchester Orchestra, uh, I think I've listened to since like high school. Um, They're a cool band. Same with like Minus the Bear and um, yeah, that there's like bands that I go, that are like my go-tos and like, I try to treat like buying vinyl like this. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a huge you know, for the amount of opportunity I've had to buy vinyl over the years that shows and stuff, like I have a pretty modest collection of music that way. But I've always tried to like only buy these records if they're like my all time favorite, yeah. you know, albums from my favorite bands because it can easy, it's easy to get kind of caught up in that. Yeah. And it can grow and just gets out of control. Yeah. So, you know, those, those are my top three. I feel like everything after that is like too evenly, you know, matched. Yeah. But like my music taste has been forced to become like extremely broad, which is why, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to choose. Like I come back to albums now that I listened to 10 years ago and I'm like, shit, this, this is awesome. Then Mm -hmm. I get kind of sucked into it for like, where I just like kill it for a week. Mm -hmm. I only listen to that one 
record or that one band for a while. So um, it's constantly evolving. But yeah, those are the, I mean, those are like maybe if anyone that knows me, those are definitely like easy. Those are the probably three. easy top picks. You know, like Thursday, I have a Thursday tattoo. Mm-hmm. We'll acknowledge this on the on the <laughs> internet. Uh, every, most people already know. So that one's a dead giveaway. I've had that since I was like 16. So no going back. Poison the Well, I saw for the first time with Thursday and like have always, I've always thought we're like the most mind blowing, like heavy band to exist. And no one ever came close to sort of like sounding like that Mm -hmm. in all the years they existed. And no matter how many bands said Poison the Well, like influenced us or we love Poison the Well, I've never heard a single other band really like sound Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, And then the Constantines are like my go-to like Canadian, like their all time best Canadian band. Uh, And, uh, Everything after that's like a giant tie. There you go. Well, right on. Well, thank you for so much for doing this with yeah, me. Thanks for having me. Uh, so if uh, you want to plug the social medias or give uh, a shout out to anything, now would be your time. Okay. Shout out to Timmer. You could. For beating me to being on this podcast. <laughs> and also, well, how long ago was it? Six months ago? It was a while ago. And he wasn't in person. He never got to do wow, the video. He the video. Well, he'll be, he'll come down and do it. You should have him on talk in person because he's way funnier in person um no the yeah like the venues the venues on the internet warehouse uh just you can find it warehouse concert hall um and indoor shoes is still there but follow warehouse if you're interested in any live music going on in in the club venue level in st Catharines. and then cicada music and arts festival is also on online and the lineup is coming hopefully in the next like month for this year's festival um so those are the two big things cool Yeah. Right on. Well, we'll end it there. Oh, man. Thank you. Awesome.